Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Let's begin with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for another day of life, Lord. Thank you that we could be here together as a family. And as we look into the scriptures this week, Lord, especially on a very important part of not only our lives, but the life of the world, be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Six miles outside of Manila lies a very peaceful, but very big, a very vast cemetery. Over 152 acres gently rise from the ground and set to memorialize the military dead from those who served in World War II in the Southwest Pacific Theater. The, the, the memorial park or cemetery is designed so it's, it's this big circle. Over 17,000 servicemen are laid to rest there. With Italian marble crosses and headstones, inscribed are the names of all of these individuals who gave their life. People from every state of this union, Panama, Guam, Philippines, Puerto Rico, Australia, Canada, China, England, Mexico, Costa Rica, Honduras, Finland, Jamaica, Burma, and Peru. In 20 of these cases, two brothers lie side by side. And as you pass each stone, as you look at the names, you have to wonder how many wives, mothers, daughters, sons have been able to visit these graves. Some maybe. A lot of them probably not. So far away removed from their very own home. But there is still hope of a reunion. The cross that covers each grave is the cross that covers sin. The cross that gives hope of the resurrection. For since death came through a man... The resurrection of the dead came also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And then the greatest reunion will one day take place when those from every state of the union, California, Connecticut, Kansas, Alaska, Alabama, Montana, those from Panama, Guam, Philippines, Puerto Rico, Australia, Canada, China, Burma, England, Costa Rica, Honduras, Finland, Jamaica, Peru, will all be gathered together with many of their loved ones. And those brothers who lay side by side will live together in eternity. Amen? Amen. Let's go to the book of John. And as we are going to read the book of John, I'd like to ask uh, those deacons who I've asked already, um, they have something for you all. We'd like to give you 
that you know you can take, whether put it in your car, if you want to frame it, go ahead. But as they go by, we're going to hand out uh, cards that, thankfully enough, Bill has printed. So if you see him, say thank you. But we, we want to give you this kind of as a token, especially on this very special Sabbath, as a reminder of the goodness of God, of what God has done in our lives. Now let's go to John 11. It's something that we have already kind of discussed before, especially in our, our small groups and our I Am series. So I'm just going to kind of summarize uh, a little bit before we get to the main point in verse 21. But for those of you who don't know what John 11 is about, it's a story of Lazarus. Many of you have probably heard of it, but just in case you don't, Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and he and, he and Jesus were very close friends. They were BFFs, best friends forever. And um, he got sick, and so the sisters sent word. And Jesus, who he's good buddies with Lazarus, tells the disciples, let's hold up, let's wait. And, uh, and so he then says, this sickness will not end in death. Notice, for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. And it says here, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. In fact, even in verse 3, when the sister sent word, they specifically said, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now, he stayed two more days, and then he finally got up, and then they started to journey to Bethany, which I think, uh, I can't remember how far it was. It wasn't, wasn't too far. And then Jesus also then says, let's go back to Judea. And they said, but Rabbi, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back. In the prior chapter, Jesus had another run with some of the, the spiritual religious leaders of, of uh, the, the Jewish nation. It didn't go over well, so much so that they wanted to try to kill him again. Well, Jesus then continues, he says in verse 11, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. The disciples are thinking, well, Jesus, if he's, if he's, if he's asleep, just let him wake up. You know, maybe he'll get better eventually. But Jesus points out, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. And Thomas, we'll come back to Thomas later. Thomas then says, let us go so that we may die with him. I don't know if he's making this as a faith statement or maybe he's trying to be a little cheeky. Okay, but keep this in mind, okay? Now, of course, Lazarus has been dead four days by now. And when he goes to meet Martha, Martha greets him with, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. I think Martha, we can probably identify with Martha at times where, Lord, you didn't show up in time when I wanted you to show up. Anybody experience that? Mm-hmm. And then Jesus, but, but actually, sorry, but, but then she says, but this is a great faith statement, but... I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha, I think she sometimes gets a bad rap because, you know, she's, she's of, between Mary and Martha, she's the one who needs to get stuff done. 
But she also makes a great faith statement where she says, even though, Lord, I know my brother is dead, I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. And, and Jesus responds with her, your brother will rise again. And, and she says, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And she's thinking like this general resurrection. But then Jesus then turns her statement and he turns it around to now let's make it a faith statement where he says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die and whoever lives believes in me will never die. And then he says, do you believe this? And here she responds. I think even more importantly than even when Peter said, you are, you are the Messiah. She says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. I love this conversation. It's one of my favorite conversations in Scripture. She believes in Jesus. She knows he can do anything. And it's interesting when he says, your brother will rise again. She, she thinks of it as something, yeah, okay, something that's going to be in the future. But Jesus wants to change that and say, no, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the one who can bring back life. I am the one who eventually will rise again. I will wake those eventually in the future when we will all be gathered together. Now, as time goes by, the concept of a resurrection, that of something that has died, come back to life. When you look at our outer culture, okay, without and not in not in the church, there are many people who would be skeptical to this idea. Dramatically, right? In fact, it seems like every day, it seems like it just there's more people trying to poo-poo this idea of the resurrection. And yet, we live, we go through life. God has called us to believe, to believe in him and all that he has done and will do. It takes faith to believe in God and it takes faith to believe in the resurrection. But I think it's something that in this verse, we have to remember that Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And we have to believe as Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the son of God, who's to come into the world. Being a believer, though, is getting challenging more and more every day. Amen. Amen. Skepticism is running rampant. But you know, it's interesting too in jesus day you know who were the strongest skeptics the supposedly the spiritual religious leaders of the time they were the most skeptical yet they probably also had the most to lose <laughs> but my friends god doesn't want you to live a life of drudgery god wants you to live a life that is abundant god wants to resurrect your life Martha showed tremendous faith. 
May we believe as she did, even when it doesn't look so bright. Because her brother hadn't been risen yet. Jesus had not told Lazarus to come forth. Now, eventually, for those of us who know the story, we know that uh, Jesus runs into to Mary. She has a similar response. Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And eventually, several verses later, he says, Lazarus, come forth. Whenever Jesus came across somebody who had either passed away or was short of, he always healed them. Now, I'm not saying that here now God is going to bring back somebody back to life here, okay, because we're not God. But God is certainly capable of anything. We know in the future God will resurrect those, our loved ones, who are sleeping. So let's fast forward. Last week we talked about Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he was agonizing about what he was about to face. And shortly thereafter, as he was done praying and he regrouped himself with the disciples, who shows up? Judas and those who have come to arrest Jesus. And so Jesus, he's, he's taken into custody. And for the disciples, what's going on here? This is not the plan that's supposed to happen. Why is Jesus going into custody? He's always managed to thwart being arrested. And now he's allowing the authorities to come and take him away. He's arrested and he's falsely charged. He's taken before Annas, the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was the high priest at the time. He wasn't taken to the local policing authority. Can you imagine? What if we just said, if you did something bad, we brought you here and we would judge you? That sounds horrible, right? And it's here we find that Peter had said before that, Jesus, I will never deny you, that Jesus denies Jesus for the first time. As he's taken to Caiaphas, Caiaphas starts to interrogate him. They slap him up. <clears throat> they try to insinuate things, to try to get him to lie, to, to find a reason to put him away. And here, Peter denies him a second and a third time, and then the rooster crows. And imagine Peter's heart, because he's, he's trying to see what's happening. He's been trying to be so faithful and loyal, but yet he doesn't want to be seen because he doesn't want to be associated with Jesus because he feared for his life. And eventually, as the rooster crowed, he took off. Jesus was by himself, alone, and abandoned by those closest to him. Eventually, he's taken to Pontius Pilate, who can't find any fault with them other than, hey, you guys have your own disagreements of what you believe. This shouldn't be on me. And yet the Jewish leaders and the people instigated, we want his blood. And Pilate absolves himself by trying to wash his hands and saying, hey, his death, it's on you guys. And so on one Friday, Jesus is taken to a hill. He's placed on a cross, and there he is hung and eventually dies. Everyone, save for the beloved disciple and Jesus' mother, is gone. Imagine being Jesus forsaken in many ways. Yet Jesus, even on the cross, instructs to the beloved disciple, please take care of my mother. Even in Jesus' suffering, he was looking out 
for others. Now, he calls for a drink and finally says, it is finished. He bowed his head and he gave up his spirit and he died. Later, he's taken down and he's buried. And we find ourselves on Sabbath. Imagine the headspace then of the disciples. Why did Jesus allow himself to be taken in? He could have called on 10,000 angels, a legion of angels, but no. Jesus was faithful to the plan of salvation, which required him to be a sacrifice. Sabbath passes, and Sunday morning, John 20. Let's go to John 20. All right, we ready? All right, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, so dawn was starting to break, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. Can you imagine what's going through her heart? I'm sure her heart probably skipped a beat. Her stomach started to think about, oh, what's wrong? Where is he? So she came running to Peter. And the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. And Simon and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were what? Right. They didn't just walk over there. Their hearts probably were beating super fast. What would they have done with him? But the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, he looked in it, and at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. And Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. The beloved disciple, he checks it out. Okay, let me check it out. And Peter doesn't care. He goes, runs in full bore. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw, and what did it say? He what? He believed. They still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Can you imagine that? They still didn't quite get that. They didn't know that the plan of salvation was such that Jesus would be resurrected. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. And eventually, now, now, John 20 is broken up into four sections. So this is scene one, okay? Scene one, the empty tomb. Scene two, enter Jesus and Mary Magdalene. Now, Mary was outside the tomb, and she was what? She was crying. Did Mary love Jesus? With all of her heart, right? A beautiful, a beautiful relationship that they it was, it was uh, something that she owed Jesus so much, and she cared for him. She was crying, <clears throat> and as she bent over to look into the tomb, she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus had been, and one at the head and one at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? And she says, they've taken my Lord away, and I don't know where they have put him. 
And at this, she turned around and saw who there? Jesus standing there, but she didn't recognize it was Jesus. And he says to her, woman, and when he says woman, it's not like woman. It's a term of endearment. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking, <laughs> thinking that he was what? The gardener, right? She said, sir, if you had carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. She doesn't care. She wants to take care of Jesus. She wants his body to be respected, to be cared for properly. And then Jesus says, Mary. And she turns, she, when she hears Jesus' voice, when she hears her name, she recognizes that voice. And she turns around and she cries out, Rabbanai, which is Aramaic for teacher. And he says, hey, 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 don't hold on to me for I have not ascended yet to the father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and my and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I've seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. One little side note, I really love the passage that who does Jesus first appear to and sends as the first evangelist to go and tell that he is risen? Mary. Does Mary have a great past? She has a crooked past. A very humiliating past, probably. And yet Jesus chooses her to be the emissary to go and tell the disciples that he had risen. And so she goes. Now, another, other, uh, the other gospels, some of them, they still could not believe. Even in this midst, they were uncertain. They were doubting. Third scene, Jesus appears to his disciples. And on that first day, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leadership, they thought that they may be taken away as well and crucified. And yet we find here Jesus infiltrates that room. He, he came and he stood among them and he said, peace be with you. And after he said this, he showed them what? His hands and his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And he said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's scene three. Imagine now being, okay, you're hiding out. You don't know yet quite what's going to happen. Potentially your life is at stake. And Jesus appears out of nowhere. And to prove, he has to show his hands and he shows his side of where he'd been pierced. Now, not everybody was there. So here we enter scene four. Jesus appears to Thomas. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, the one who said, hey, let's go with Jesus. One of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples said to him, we have seen who? We have seen the Lord. And Thomas, Thomas gets a bad rap because he's known as what? He's known as the doubter, right? Thomas can be a hater. Thomas is not a hater. Thomas is not a doubter. He's simply asking a common question that probably many of us would also ask. Because guess what? We have senses too. We have eyesight. We can hear. We can touch. We can smell. We can taste. And he's, he wants to scientifically, he wants to be able to see. 
So he says, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, which all the other disciples had been fortunate to uh, have experienced, and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not what? Oh, is Thomas doubting? <laughs> and so a week later, imagine now, okay, everybody says, hey, we've seen Jesus. And, and Thomas is like, y'all saw him a week ago. Hmm. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them this time. And he says, peace be, Jesus says, peace be with you. And then he goes to Thomas, all right? Goes to Thomas. He says, put your finger here, see my hands. Reach out your hand and put them into my side. Stop doubting and what? Believe. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. And the way that it's worded is in a way that is similar to the Roman Empire. And it's here, John is intentionally saying that his allegiance is to Jesus, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, for those of us here, okay, Jesus died many, many years ago. We have not literally seen the hands or his side. And keep in mind the context of this, too, because John is writing to who? He's writing to the second generation of believers who had never been able to see Jesus, never been able to shake his hand, never been able to give him a hug. In many ways, we can identify with these believers that John is writing to. He says, because you have seen me, you have believed, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In many ways, I think Jesus is also speaking to us here. So what can we take from this, the, this story, these stories? Some, some things, number one, is God, Jesus takes the initiative. Amen? Because if Jesus did not take, a, take the initiative, we were going down the wrong road. Imagine if Jesus not, not, was not around. How long do you think the earth could have gone? <laughs> Jesus takes the initiative. And, and the beautiful thing is our God is not an absent God. God's love is greater than we could ever imagine. Jesus was here, and then Jesus also, God gives us the blessing and the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. Now, like the disciples, though, we sometimes, you know, we often demand physical proof. Okay, like I indicated here, we, had five, we have five senses, eyesight, hearing, touch, taste, smell. We want to actually literally see the proof. But Jesus responds with, to believe. in order to believe and understand the resurrection, you have to believe in something that, though you've never been able to maybe physically see, touch, smell, you have to believe in me and trust in me. Now, one thing I will note, though, I think one of the biggest things that we can take away from is, did the, did the resurrection happen? I think so, because why would there be an empty tomb? There's no point in having an empty tomb. The disciples are not going to try and go rescue Jesus because it's being heavily guarded. And Rome is trying to stomp out the ability of having another king, somebody to threaten. No. And the Jewish leaders, they don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. They're going to want to make sure that he stays in there. I think one of the biggest proofs that we can have is the fact that Jesus rose again and the tomb was empty.
Amen? But yet, Jesus says we must believe. It takes a lot of faith to be able to believe in something that we can't see, touch, smell, or hear. Andreas Kostenberger says, believing is better than seeing. If we could see everything, if we could know everything, would faith matter? No, because we already can see and know. If we truly believe, it takes faith. To accomplish anything great or for something great to happen, it already has to be you have to believe in it. Like all of the big companies that are out there, Apple, whatever, they believed in the possibilities. And along the way, they came across a lot of skeptics, a lot of haters, and still were able to overcome those differences. Far be it, what's even greater is the fact that the cross, Jesus, has risen again. And though we put a huge emphasis on Friday, I'm not detracting from that, it is important. I think the bigger thing is that Jesus rose again on the third day. Because on the third day, not only did Jesus die, anybody can die, but Jesus, as he says, I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus literally resurrected himself and has the power to grant life and to resurrect. Amen? So we can have confidence that God as well. I, I believe this too, that God not only wants to resurrect, but also restore, and not just in the future, but now. God wants you to have a great future and a great hope. God wants you to have an abundant life and to rejoice. I love Easter, and I believe it's a time of a reminder of what God has done but I think God, more importantly, wants us to rejoice in what God has done. So let us smile. Let us be appreciative. Let us go with confidence that Jesus has saved us. Amen? I want to read something to you real quickly. Um, I found it this week. Hannah Brencher writes, uh, it's Easter week, a collection of days where Jesus was arrested, torn down, degraded, crucified, laid to rest in a tomb, and brought back to life in the span of three days. We rejoice over dead things coming back to life. But wait, just a, wait just a little longer. There's something more to the story. Jesus died on a Friday. They killed him intentionally before sundown. So the Jewish people would be ushered into Sabbath, unable to do anything but wait, to mourn, to wonder, to grieve, and to pause. Imagine the headspace that the disciples were in on Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, people were forbidden from doing even the smallest things. They couldn't even go stand by the tomb. They couldn't make themselves busy or distracted. They had to sit with the sorrow and ponder it, to face it, to live with it, not know that a Sunday was coming. Jesus could have rose from the dead instantly. That could have been the story, but God carved out space for Saturday or Sabbath, where faith was, shall amend many questions. Where is God in all of this? The fact that there's a Saturday wedge between the day of the crucifixion and the day of resurrection is proof to me that we love a God who is close to the brokenhearted, close to the waiting, close to the ones walking a path of uncertainty and turmoil. 
It's okay if your your faith is suspended in Saturday right now. God is close. He is kind. He is in the chaos. God mourns with you. He grieves with you. God sees you in your hopefulness, and when you have no hope to speak of, God is not phased by your exhaustion. He's not asking you to get stronger. He's bending low and whispering, I will fight for you. You need only be still, my love. Saturday is not the end of the story. Sunday is coming, so hold tight. So my friends, may you go with faith. May you go with courage. And if your courage is weak right now, if your faith is weak, know that God does love you. God does not throw away the doubters because even the doubters were still there in that room right before Jesus showed up. Amen? So may God be with you. John 20, 29, just want to reiterate, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. I believe in the resurrection as well because of what God has done in my life and what God can do in your life. That is the greatest testament of faith in that God has risen. So we can have confidence that God can not only resurrect, but also restore. So today, where are you struggling with doubt in your life today? Where are you struggling with doubt in your life today? Right now, I want to take a moment. I want to pause. And so for our action step, I want to give an opportunity for those who would like to commit, to recommit, or to affirm your faith by seeking God in prayer to lead, to guide, and to shape you into the follower God has called you to be. Let's pray. God, today is a high point. It's one of the best weekends of Lord, the reminder of who you are. And God, you have overcome death. You have overcome sin. And Lord, you rested on the Sabbath. May we find peace, joy, confidence, strength, courage, and love and empathy from you, especially on this Sabbath day as we rest. But Lord, tomorrow as well, may we reflect on you, on what you have done for us. May we be grateful, but Lord as well, may we rejoice. May our hearts be overflowing with your love. And that Lord, if possible, give us an opportunity to share you with others. Lord, there may be some here who've never had the opportunity to commit their life to you. And so, Lord, we want to say for those who, who are sitting here and never had that opportunity to just say, Lord, come into my life to lead, shape, mold, and guide me. Maybe there are some here, Lord, who have strayed but want to have a desire to recommit their life. God, be with them as they also say, Lord, please come back into my life to lead, to guide, to mold. But ultimately, Lord, I want to have a relationship with you. And Lord, for those who are faithful, affirm those, Lord, as they also continue to be led, to be guided, to be molded, and to be shaped by you. Lord, it is our greatest desire to know you more every day. Affirm us, guide us, And above all, Lord, help us to be the faithful followers that you've called us to be here in Downey and wherever we are. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen. Grace and peace, everybody.